Welcome to The Laws of Style, featuring conversations on creativity, fashion, and the law from the leading edge of our economy and culture. Hosted by noted fashion lawyer, Douglas Hand. Hello, and welcome to The Laws of Style. I'm your host, Douglas Hand. And for this episode, I'm joined by designer, Billy Reed. Billy, thanks for being with us. Uh, thank you. Uh, such a pleasure. Really, really an honor to be here. Well, so you're based in Florence, Alabama, and when menswear design and Florence are mentioned, often people think of Florence, Italy. Um, can you comment on being outside, at least geographically, the sort of established fashion system and how that's informed your brand? It's been, uh, you know, certainly being outside of, you know, a big uh, fashion hub, it, it can have its challenges for sure. You know, you can't, you know, I, you know, I was based in New York before. So, you know, run into 38th Street to get buttons or whatever you might need to get the sample made. You know, you don't have <laughs> quite have those luxuries in a small, uh, a small town, you know, parts Alabama like we're, we're in, but there, um, you know, th there's that challenge. You know, you're not at every event. You know, you're not in front of um, all the editors and and maybe some of the things you should be at are, are, you know, the protocol that might say you, you know, should be in the in the fray. But there's also so many advantages to it. I mean, for me, uh, just being able to sort of have you know, kind of, we sort of made work around our life, not life around our work, you know, so we, uh, my wife's from Florence, Alabama, we we're able to raise our family here, that's a very comforting thing, but, you know, I've always, I think it, it, it also kind of sets us apart, you know, and it gives us a, a, a little bit different perspective when you can uh, see a different part of the country and and dig in on the you know I grew up in the south I'm from South Louisiana um, you know those influences inform the collection as much as my time in New York or Los Angeles all of those things inform it but for me it just kind of it creates a well-rounded perspective I think for us is you know kind of having an understanding of not just what people are wearing you know in a major city but also you know, what's, what's, what's the country, what's the rest of the world wearing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, descriptors like lived in luxury or broken in luxury have been used often to describe the line. Um, how do you feel about those descriptions? Is that, is that the aesthetic you're going for? Um, and is that kind of uh, part and parcel with being in the South? You know, it, it, it can be a little bit, I guess, associated, you know, people in the South, there is a, I guess you do feel um, that sense of comfort, you know, uh, in, in some ways, but yeah, it, the lived in luxury, broken in luxury, those were not things we kind of came up with on our own. People just kind of associated it with the collection. And I feel like we, we do take a lot of care when, when you go to the rack, you know, we want something to, to feel like you can put it on right then and there's not really a break-in period. Uh, you know, maybe that's not true with like a pair of rigid, you know, selvage denim, but for the most part, you know, even like leather jackets, I mean, we love to put a wash on it where it looks like it's something you've had for years. Um, I, I think that our customers have come to expect that sort of built-in comfort. 
and I, I really think of for us, I mean, I like to call it usual, uh, usable luxury. You know, this, this is something, you know, sometimes luxury can be portrayed as precious. And, you know, there is a precious part to it. You know, obviously we're trying to select, you know, fantastic, beautiful fabrications and that have unbelievable hands, but, you know, you want people to wear it, you know, more than anything else. And, you know, I want someone to grab that coat and to be their favorite coat they've ever had, you know, whatever that piece is, you just want it to be that something that they're going to have in their closet for years. I'll, you know, a lot of times I'll use the analogy of like, it should be like furniture, you know, it, it should live with you, you know, like, like that great chair, you know, and it just gets better the more you sit in it. And I feel like we want our clothes to kind of have that kind of vibe to it and get that kind of use out of it. Yeah, now that's interesting. I mean, it brings to mind something that um, I've often considered in traditional menswear, um, sort of items that become charged with a little bit of legacy and a little bit of entitlement, like like the bow tie, perhaps. Or, or <laughs> I love bow ties. <laughs> the I love, I love it. Yeah, well, that's the nod to the Southern gentleman. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, these items that um, at least when I was coming up as a, as a young professional, you sort of didn't wear because mm. that's what partners at a law firm wore or that's <laughs> what managing directors at the investment bank wore. And you couldn't wear it unless you were one of those. Um, so is part of the ethos and part of the, you know, that sort of, fuck that, <laughs> you know, wear what you want. <laughs> or, or is part of it, you know, when you do... Um, design those items, is there a little bit of a ironic statement there that um, you're kind of taking the mickey out of, out of that? In, I, you know, I, I, I kind of grew up in that traditional menswear vein. I mean, I worked in a, my first job was in a very traditional men's store. We were one of the first shops in the South to carry Ralph Lauren. Oh, wow. And so I immediately became, you know, a, a Ralph Lauren freak, you know, when working in that shop and, uh, you know, just getting introduced to it. And, uh, you know, it was it was suits and ties and sport jackets and a little bit of sportswear. Uh, so I've and, and the gentleman who owned the shop was just an unbelievable, um, just still one of my style heroes today. Um, he, he just, everything was perfect, uh, for, you know, and he just always had the right things on at the right time. So I've always, when we do those types of items, uh, it, it's a little bit nostalgic in some ways, but yet you want it to certainly have modern application. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I love to do a, a dress shirt with, with a white collar, you know, and not for Gordon Gecko are for the partners at the law firm, but just to kind of, just to kind of, you know, inject a little bit of that, inject a little bit of that nostalgia, but how can you put it in a modern context? You know, um, that maybe just for me personally, is that sort of nod to traditional menswear. I, I still think it's, there's relevance there and I feel like it should be the baseline in a man's wardrobe, not, not necessarily a white collar shirt, but just those, those little subtleties and, or at least knowing about them. You know, when you, when you're watching, you know, ESPN, you see the announcers come on and they have like 
a three button jacket and all three buttons are buttoned. You go, man, somebody get a hold of this guy. Who is, who's in uh, charge? My here? favorite is when they got the tie and the pocket square and they match. <laughs> yeah, that, and then there's, you know, like three other things going on and you go, man. And, and my wife just goes, just relax. Who do you think is there? You think they have a stylist on set there? And I'm like, I don't know. They should. Somebody's got to get a hold of these guys. They do, but that stylist is from Men's Warehouse, typically. Um, <laughs> honestly, I think if you if you watch the credit roll, you'll you'll see that. Um, well, let yeah. me let me um, let me let me touch on that. You know, sports um, can inform design. Sports are part of your life. Um, mm -hmm. This is a little out of left field, no pun intended. But you are a pretty accomplished baseball coach. So tell us about that. Um, and is there anything in that that, you know, kind of aligns with the brand or is that just, you know, a passion project that you and your son share? Well, I will definitely say it's certainly a passion project for sure. Um, but it does in, in, in some ways, I, it, it's been fun to inject a little bit of that into, you know, what we do with the collection. I mean, I, you know, you had asked before of like having your name on a collection, it, it, it does, you, you have to have, it has to come from a personal point of view. I, I, to be, for me, it does at least. And so, yeah, man, I'm a baseball fanatic. I mean, I, I actually started college as a PE major. And so I wanted to be a coach and uh, I flunked out as a PE major, which is pretty damn hard to do, but somehow I managed to screw that up. <laughs> and uh, so, um, yeah, so when my son got to, you know, the little league age, I started coaching, fell in love with, you know, teaching and, and, and being around the kid. It was, it was sort of being able to relive something that I never got, had a chance to do. Uh, and, and, you know, of course, that brings about, you, you know, you get to design the uniforms and all the swag and the fundraising swag. And that uh, would know, be the it, cool team to be on. I would uh, we, uh, we, we always showed up with the, uh, yeah, it, 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 I, I will, I will brag on that. We had some damn good looking uniforms. But, um, it, man. I can and, and they, and they played well. They did. So, I mean, we, we went to the college world. I mean, the college world, the little league world series and, um, you know, I, I, he's beyond those years, but I still uh, work the kids out and, 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 and now they're, you know, a lot of them are going to college, play baseball and I love it. And I think more than anything else, it just, there is a little bit of relationship, you know, managing people, motivating people. You know, I do, you know, with our team, I try to be somewhat of a, a coach mm -hmm. and, and, and try to develop them and, and, uh, uh, as best I can <laughs> without trying to take over. Um, but yeah, no, it's, 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 it's something really, really cool. I love it. And, you know, a lot of that swag has ended up in the shop and we use them for fundraisers and different things. So it's, oh, it's a ton of, oh, that it's, is it's, uh, your collection. honestly, it's some of my favorite, it's, it's some of my favorite stuff to work on I, I guess because i'm such a huge sports fan i mean i can't help it but and, um, and was the company the sponsor of the team i mean in my small town playing baseball you had local sponsors and so believe it or not my little league team was called pottery shack 
because that was our sponsor. <laughs> Not as cool as the Billy Reed team, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> Uh, uh, there's something about the pottery shack i could see that we didn't really put the uh name i did take you know we've got our little branding elements that you know are a little striped and i kind of subtly tucked that into some places but <laughs> we we were a subtle sponsor so to speak kind of a quiet sponsor right. but um, it was kind of hard i didn't we didn't i didn't want it to look like we were taking over the whole situation um and it, it probably felt like that anyway. We were, it was it was intense, man. I really I treated it like a full time well, job on a Little League World Series is no joke. I mean, that's a nationally yeah. televised game. So yeah, 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 it was fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. What is your uh, what is your major league baseball team or teams plural? Uh, well, I uh, well I love the Braves. I mean, they're I grew up. A Braves fan, but I'm also a pretty big Yankees fan as well. So, um, you know, no offense to anyone who hates the Yankees. There's a lot of haters out there, but there's quite a few haters down in Atlanta, I think. But yeah, 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 that puts you in rarefied air to be the you know, yeah. Those, those are my two. Those are my my two teams. But man, I really root for players more than anything else. I mean, I love what's happening to the game right now. Uh, you know, Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna, Acuna Jr. Just seeing that the energy that it, it, it's really kind of lifting the sport and baseball could use that yeah. uh, a little bit of that, you know, breaking the rules a little bit is a good thing in baseball. Well, let me ask a slightly politicized question. How do you feel sure. about the Braves name and logo? And are you in favor of changing it or you know, as someone who appreciates legacy and recognizes that, you know, that, that, name and logo yes. have come from from boston and you know have been part of the team forever that um it's hard to change things like that uh you know i try to not mix the political part and and the and and, and the in sports even though it's definitely become that but what i i think you know knowing a lot of folks that work with the braves and knowing the organization they really try to embrace it and really try to pay tribute more than they do try to you know use it as something in a political situation um they they really they they, they take great strides and in, in, in really trying to uh help the cause you know and and they have a lot of support from many of the tribes around the country that support keeping the name you know it, i i I think when you get into like Redskins and things like that, I can I absolutely see it. You know, I can you can see where that would be offensive if just to people. But I mean, from what I've seen, and it, this is certainly a, a novice opinion, I, I've I've seen more support from the from the Native American um, tribes than I have, you know, dissent. Yeah. Professor at a law school that I teach at, Cardoza Law School, which is uh, in New York City. And he is sort of championing this name change initiative to, um, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this, it's Bravest. And what they've done uh -huh. is they've taken, the, they've taken the tomahawk and made it into a fireman's axe and taken uh -huh. that other iconography and made it into kind of like first responders supporters it's very clever yeah, yeah. very you know uh, I, 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 can, I can see that i can see that so 
you launched your first menswear collection um, mm -hmm. as a standalone eponymous brand under William Reed. And this is back in 1998. Um, how and why did you end up rebranding Billy Reed? We rebrand, I mean, after, well, William Reed, uh, I, you know, started in 98. And we, um, you know, started it in my bedroom while my wife was pregnant with her first child. And uh, it, it, it took off. And, you know, we moved the company to New York, started doing Fashion Week. Things started to grow. I had a partner at the time who was in the dot-com business. Um, we won a CFDA award in 2000, summer of 2001. And then the next, our next show was September 10th, the day before the terrorist attacks. And um, after that, everything just started to fall apart. And of course, the dot-com bubble burst and perfect storm. It just, we, we had to, to um, just <laughs> restart life. And that's when we moved to Alabama. Um, and my wife is one of nine children. So we, we had a, a great support system and we just said, look, well, if we can get through this, we can make it work. We'll, we'll figure it out, you know? Um, and it was really a little bit of just wanting a fresh, a fresh start, you know, and, and no one has, ever, no one's ever called me William, you know, it was just, everyone's always called me Billy. And, and, and the one thing that really, I really wanted to happen when we relaunched was I just wanted everything to be real. I didn't want to fake anything. And so that name was real. Um, it, it, it also kind of gave it a, you know, I did have contacts and a little bit of, you know, legacy kind of starting to, a small legacy starting to happen at that time. And so it sort of was a, a good balance of those two things. And um yeah, no regrets on it, really, um, as far as making that name change. Yeah, we're, we're so, so now under Billy Reed, and still, mm -hmm. obviously, maybe a more authentic eponymous brand, um, <laughs> you know, have there been issues that you faced that relate to just, you know, who your partners are, who, who your investors are, recognizing that, um, to a degree, when they own a, a stake in the company, assuming that your company owns its trademark, which I assume it does, um, you know they're 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 taking a piece of your name, and 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 maybe you know if you were to really, you know, think about it, your legacy, um, you know, do you does does that uh, concern you? And you know, how did you deal with uh, with investment, given that that is is what they were investing in? Yeah, it, it definitely puts you. And, you know, they're investing as much in the company as they are in you because you're, you know, I'm attached to it. So you, you definitely want to, um, you, you've got to be front and center. You got to be as, you have to be as good or better than the brand itself because they're as much, like I said, they're investing in the, in, in that name, which means they're investing in, in me. So that's where it, it kind of can limit, you know, probably the pool of people you may go out to, to raise capital with um, it and, and as well as licensing any other thing, you know, because I, I'm also, if we are going to do a collaboration or a licensing agreement for me, I want that to feel real. You know, I don't want to fake it. 
we're not just going to go, you know, put our name on soup cans or, you know, what, yeah. whatever, just because there's money involved. It, it's, it really does have to me, I want that personal attachment. So that can kind of narrow, you know, what the opportunities can be, but it also can make the opportunities that you, that do come aboard and you, and you, and you pursue, it can create a little bit of stronger connectivity, better storytelling, you know, um, because it, you're coming from a real place. Um, so it, it, there, there's, there's positives and negatives to that. Does, that, sure. does that get stressful um, personally, Billy, you know, that sort of, you know, you sort of always have to be on, you are this steward of the brand and that, that not only your employees, but you know, your investors are all kind of relying on you to be the greatest version of yourself. <laughs> now I feel pressure. <laughs> now that you said it. <laughs> No. Well, but, you know, I no, I try because I mean, look, we we, no, I, we, I, we 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 we're on both sides of this often. Yeah. We represent investors yeah. sometimes. We represent brands, and sure. from the investor perspective, you know, it's very stressful to yeah, be investing in something where one person, by their just human actions, I mean, I'll just yeah. John Galliano, right? Or yeah. you know, yeah. can just blow sure. up all the value yeah. that 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 you invested in. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, it definitely, you, you want to, you definitely want to be your best self at all times for sure. So there is a little bit of that pressure, but I, I, I've tried not to think about it and, you know, it really just try to be myself and, and, and answer on, you know, answer questions, honestly, speak honestly. Um, and and I, that way I feel like I don't have to backtrack, mm-hmm. you know, or, 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 you know, you, you've got to, um, yeah, it, it, there is a little bit of pressure in, in regard to that, but I, I've, I guess I've just gotten, uh, you know, over the years, gotten used to that. Yeah. Well, and look, I don't, don't mean to stress you out at all. No. <laughs> uh, yeah. Let's, um, but you know, you know, this call is over. <laughs> <laughs> but you noted, you know, sort of the, 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 the pivot that, that you and your brand went through during, uh, you know, just uh, 9-11 and, and the fallout, um, the economic yeah. fallout, not just from that event, but, you know, from what was going on in the economy. I mean, we're obviously at a similar moment right now. Mm-hmm. Pandemic, you know, almost two years behind us, but still, you know, in, in some sense in full throat or in, you know, sort of a resurgence. And while certain brands that have made items that that maybe are more attuned to a a more stay-at-home lifestyle are thriving many many brands uh are are struggling not only with sales but also supply chains are really backed up with you know so um you know is this another moment where uh the fashion industry you know needs to retrench but also can kind of recreate itself for the better yes big time i mean Certainly, uh, you know, personally, it, it, there was definitely some PTSD. I mean, when this happened, you know, when it started to happen, I, I mean, the, the fear of, you know, wow, this, this could all fall apart. Um, I have to give so much credit to our team of how we pulled together. I mean, supply chain was a complete mess all over the world. I mean, the juggling that they were able to uh, get through getting product in uh, was just 
phenomenal. I mean, they did just top of their game, honestly. Uh, and, and we were all doing it remotely. You know, we realized that we actually worked in some ways, we worked more organized, you know, through, through Zoom calls. I mean, and that, that was one of the biggest takeaways is that we were able to communicate better almost than we were sitting three feet from each other. Um, that, that was a huge deal. But the other thing was just, you know, the collection had gotten so broad, you know, between men's, women's, accessories, tailored clothing, you know, denim, everything in between that, you know, before you know it, you've got, you know, 400 SKUs in a collection. It, it's, it's not needed, you know, so it, what it did for us, and, and I think for a lot of people is that you, you go back and you go, what's important, you know, this is too much. It's too much for our supply chain. It's too much for us internally. And it's really, you're almost competing with yourself sometimes on your own rack because do you need three navy coats i mean honestly the customer's not going to come in and buy three navy coats um so it helped us kind of focus the assortment i mean we literally cut the collection in half you know from what we offered and I, and it's it, it's it's definitely i think helped us from even communicating our messaging you know because it's less to communicate uh, and it's 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 just a more focused presentation, and to, if if there's anything good that can come from you know something so horrible, you know that that could be it. And and, and you know for just going through it, I mean resilience. You know, really trying to set yourself up to continue to be resilient to get through it and come out stronger. Um, you know, nine eleven was certainly that for us. Um, Two thousand eight the financial crisis was, I mean, we yeah. opened our shop on Bond Street in New York the day the stock market crashed in 2008. So it was like, how are we going to get through this? You know, and Signed you realize that- Lease with that commitment. Oh, at, and, oh yeah, at the high, at but, the high. you know, going in at the high. Um, yeah, and you realize, you know, some of those things, it, it those life experiences, can give you the confidence of, okay, we can get through bad things. You know, it, life goes on. How do we do it? How do we remain resilient? And there's hopefully a, some, some positivity at the end of this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that's, that's a great answer. And, um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of brands that have really reevaluated what they are. This notion that a la the Ralph Lauren model, which he's there. That brand is there, but yeah, will there ever be a true lifestyle brand that is all things to all people? Probably not. And that's yeah. okay. Because I think yeah. as you see new consumers come online, they're pretty suspect of something that purports to speak to everybody as well as it speaks mm -hmm. to them. And so I think a new focus on, on maybe a, just a narrower message and a narrower product line yeah. as a result um, yeah you know, can just create depth and not sort of, you know, inch deep, but, you know, really, really yeah. flat. Um, yeah, you don't need to chase every single trend and every, you know, if athleisure is happening, okay, do you really, you know, is that something you go after? Maybe, maybe not, you know, that that's, those are the decisions you have to make. And I think as you look at those sort of extensions or, you know, lifestyle extensions, it or anything you're doing, it 
I think people see right through the BS, you know, if it's not real, they're going to know it. They're, they're, they're too informed and they're, they're curious. And I, I think that's what, you know, as we try to, you know, expand and, and do projects again, I, I, they have to come from a real place uh, and something that, you know, your core customers and the loyalists connect to immediately. Well, speaking um, of a real place and what a lot of consumers care about, um, I won't say finally, because I think, you know, consumers have cared about the planet for a long time, but it's been hard to sort of understand yeah. the impact of fashion uh, and apparel production and, and the seasonality of fashion and the wastefulness of that. Um, you, and, and this is going back a few years, but, but locally, you planted a cotton field um, did. to source your own production, along with Natalie Channon. Right. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, is that still active? And, you know, that's obviously such a, a beautiful sort of vertically integrated localized production statement. Um, yeah. You know, just unpack it for us, for the listeners and, 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 sure. and talk about it. Well, first of all, Natalie, really, I mean, she's she is an expert in that in that field. Um, pardon the pun. Um, but she. Um, so yes, we partnered together on that. And uh, we, one thing we realized is that we're not farmers. <laughs> that is for sure. Um, and there were, we planted uh, 10 acres of organic cotton. And we didn't really, you know, at the time there was such a challenge even finding the seeds. The organic seeds were a challenge. We did, we finally found the seeds um, and there's a lot of um, nuance that comes with trying to grow organic cotton because it's, for instance, if you want to use machinery, well, you can't use the same machinery that's on a cotton field that's not organic because all the chemicals are inside the machine. Okay. So okay. we didn't have those machines. So, you know, like weeding out the field had to be done by hand. 10 acres, <laughs> it's not impossible. <laughs> Uh, you can't pick the cotton with a machine. You have to hand pick the cotton. So we literally had picking parties and people showed up. We had friends that have um, Jim and Nick's, their uh, incredible um, restaurant chain. They sent 200 of their employees there and then they cooked for everyone. And then we had music. We made it like a, we, we made it a party. Why not? Right. Um, and we all hand picked cotton. And the field is not in, it's, we're not doing it anymore. It, it just was something we realized was too much of an undertaking and that we need to leave it to professionals to do it. But we, you know, again, we support using organic cotton and, and, and the farmers that do it. It's, it, it, it's incredibly challenging, yeah. um, incredibly challenging. It would like be, it'd be like, you know, us trying to open a restaurant and trying to, to cook the food as well as go make clothes. I mean, it, it's, yeah. you've got to have people that know what they're doing. Well, it, it brings up an interesting, you know, element to the brand um, and you, which is um, Shindig, you know. Um, you know, you, going back to 2009, you know, have, have and I don't know if, if that first cotton picking party was associated with Shindig or not. Sounds like maybe it was. Yeah. <laughs> but you, know, you you are a big supporter of of 
local artisans, artists, musicians uh, in the community and bringing them together to, to perhaps cross pollinate or just have a great time. So, you know, for the listeners that don't know what Shindig is, maybe talk about it and, and you know, how that's been a positive for the brand. Sure. Well, it's, it's turned into sort of a cultural <laughs> melting pot that just, um, you know, takes food, music, uh, art, photography, um, novelists, you know, and, and, and brings all these people together, you know, very curated into one weekend here in, in the Shoals. So that it started, and actually you had uh, interviewed Megan um, of our steel yeah. a while back, who was our, um, our first um, public relations you know, partner. And so the idea when we first started is that we were here, we were based in a small town in Florence, Alabama. And I was like, man, we need to get people down here to see what this is about. Let's bring the editors down. Let's take them over to all the recording studios in Muscle Shoals and, you know, show them all, you know, talk about that history. Because at the time, the music documentary was not made. So, it, you know, to me at that point, it's like, hey, this is the greatest story of music that's never been told. And it's right here in our hometown. And so that was a part of it. And but obviously we wanted to bring folks down to show them the collection. You know, our, our shop was in this old house and it had a kitchen. And so it felt like sort of an entertainment space. So we brought editors from New York and Los Angeles to Florence for a weekend. And it turned into just this incredible uh, party weekend that, uh, you know, we had musicians, friends, we all sat around playing music and, you know, exchanging songs and, you know, people were bringing moonshine, people were, you know, uh, you know, bringing, you know, all this bourbon from people just kind of from out of the blue kind of gathered the local people and people in the region, they came and cooked and they did all of it. And, And so we took that kind of energy and said, we need to do this again. So the next year we kind of grew it and we scheduled music acts. We had chef friends come in and we scheduled dinners and alley parties and concerts and um, and, and it just kept blossoming, uh, you know, and before you know it, it's, it became a full fed, full fledged, you know, festival of sorts. And, uh, unfortunately the last couple of years, we haven't had a chance to do it due to COVID, yeah. but yeah. Well, we what's will the definitely plan, res- what's the plan going forward. We're definitely resurrecting it for sure. Yeah. So, uh, I would say next late summer of next year, we will, it'll be back on the back on the books for sure awesome awesome well let's let's pivot a little bit um you know i i appreciate that you're a reader of the laws of style um you know having gone through that maybe maybe a couple of times um you know for you you're you're a creative professional right but you've obviously dealt with lawyers bankers um you know the the white collar professionals. Um, What do you think for you is kind of the most salient law that that relates to them? Um, Or if, you know, we could have a nice debate if you'd sort of disagree that the the, the white collar professional should kind of dress 
as a traditional white collar professional and you'd like to see them, you know, in a t-shirt and jeans. <laughs> uh, no, we're not going to go t-shirt and jeans. I, I, I personally like, and maybe I'm a traditionalist of art, but I, I like to see men dressed, you know, I love seeing a, a coat and tie done, done correctly. Um, it, especially, you know, when you mentioned sort of bankers and, and lawyers and those folks, I feel like it's nothing wrong or, and nothing against anyone that doesn't wear the coat and tie and do that. Because, I mean, I would say my friends that are lawyers and bankers certainly don't always wear coat and tie. You know, you, honestly, if they're not going to trial, they're probably not. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means they're probably buying more clothes from us. So that's probably a good thing. But I, 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 I still, I still like it. You know, I can't, I can't help it. Um, it it's, it, it's something you kind of grow up with. Now I love to see, you know, you know, people mixing it up too. You know, I, I, I'm not against a pair of tennis shoes with a suit or, you know, I'm, I'm I, I don't wear socks with, with trousers, you know, even in the wintertime, you know, I've always done that. And that goes back to, you know, maybe it's a Southern thing. I don't know, but um, the, so there's some, some laws and I may break a little bit myself and, you know, um, but there's a lot of you know, <laughs> talking about no more than three pieces of jewelry, yeah. you know, or metal I'm down with that for sure. You know, I think um, I've always been like, pick your, is it a tie? Is it a pocket square? Is it a tie bar? What are you going with? My dad had a couple that were kind of odd that he, you know, I remember one time him screaming at me. He was in such a, he was so pissed off about something I did. And we were going to a wedding and I came downstairs, I had a, sh a shirt tie on. He goes, do you have an undershirt on? I was like, no, sir. You don't ever leave this house without an undershirt on. I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> and then he got come back down and he goes, do you have a handkerchief? You do not go to a wedding or a funeral. When you put on a suit, you have a handkerchief in your pocket every time. It's like, yes, sir. And that was his two, you know, two big things. That, and no tank tops, no sweatpants. No okay. ball caps, no chewing gum. That was his. So I remember this this kid coming to pick up my sister for a date one time, and literally he had broken all the laws of Larry Reed, and hat, tank top, sweatpants, and chewing gum all at the same time. He goes, "I'm here to pick up Laura Lee." He goes, "No, you're not. You need to go back home and change." Sent the kid home to change to come back to pick up my sister. Oh my God. I'm picturing it. like I'm picturing like Eminem coming to pick you up. <laughs> it was I'm like completely just just uh, <laughs> turned away at the door. Well, yeah, your father's your father had a good short list, you know. I mean, I did not yeah. manage to make my list short. And uh, you know, gravity yeah. is 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 important in, in yeah, things. still to this day, man. Uh, there's no like chewing gum in the house. I mean, he is yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't wear tank tops, so I never really had that issue with them. So, yeah, tank tops, <laughs> that actually is one of the laws of style. Like, you know, just yeah, wear the tank top ever. It's just yeah. not a flatter. I mean, unless you're a professional basketball player. Freddie Mercury, Freddie Mercury, maybe, you know, 
you're yeah. a rock star, then you get away yeah. with whatever you want to get away with it. But yeah. the suit. So let's let's talk a little bit about tailored clothing and the suit um, because you you do a great suit um, among other you know talents that you have, um, and I think. You know, the suit has this great effect of making every wearer, man or woman, by the way, but but in particular, mm -hmm. I'm talking menswear, you know, kind of achieve that nice eudaimon mean, you know, kind of the, the, the classic David, the shoulders broader than, than the waist and kind of elongates and just can help, I don't want to say hide, but, you know, not not accentuate certain bodily flaws that that we all have um but in this new work from home mm -hmm. environment i mean you know the suit is being once again called into question it seems like every five years you get some yeah. you know some some yep article about the death of the suit um yeah. what are your what are your prognostications for the future of the suit um and how are you seeing suit sales these days we well, I'll start with the the latter. We've definitely seen a decline in the sales of tailored clothing, and, and and a little bit of that has to do with, you know, what we've all just just gone through. But I still believe in it, and like you said, this is this goes on about every five seven years where there's this discussion that the suit has gone away and no one's going to wear a suit again. And I'm I do think there are some transitions and there's some changes happening in that world um we've started to um you know sell 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 it as separates in many you know just from a we've had to because there's a and, and and trying to make jackets that you could pair with a trouser or you could wear it by itself you know cut it in a way that it doesn't look like you're wearing a suit coat with your jeans or your trouser mm -hmm. so we've we've had to kind of balance that out with what the customer is looking for now we still have nested suits i'm not saying that we don't have any but in a lot of cases we've we've busted them up and sell them as separates we've also looked at the idea of it you know just softer suiting so slightly more relaxed silhouette not you know softening the inner linings and it creating just a more relaxed shape uh which customers honestly have really uh, seem to be attracted to um it's worked you know so and uh, but honestly it, there's still that person coming in that has to go to a wedding they have an event to go to they have a certain need to wear a suit you know and, and it may not be a business situation it could be a business situation but you know when you so as we look at our we look at it you know from a selling selling perspective well, you can look at and go suits are down or tailored clothing is down in business, but you don't, you can't walk away from it. Uh, our, the customers, there's still a customer at some point that is going to need to buy a jacket and a trouser and a shirt and potentially a tie, you know, at some point, but I, it, it's changing and uh, you know, you have to kind of evolve with it, but I, it, it's, but I also think it's something you don't walk away from. And through the pandemic, yeah, I think people have laxed somewhat on potentially wearing a jacket and tie, but I don't think it's going to go away. And I, I actually think that could 
create an op, you know, because the minute something swings one way, it swings back the other way. Yeah. So I, I, I am not predicting the death of the suit. <laughs> I hear you. Well, well, maybe, uh, you know, another topic that has, uh, has gained some traction and, uh, and positioning a product that has gained some traction. You know, I'm seeing more and more completely agnostic as to menswear, womenswear brands come online. Mm. Mm-hmm. Whether that's driven by um, gender fluidity or it's just driven by a design ethos, which is, hey, you know, men, men can choose to look this way as, as women can choose to look this way. And I'm not really design, I'm designing for humans. What, what do you think of that? Is that is that something you've ever, you know, considered or touched on? You know, mm-hmm. I, I, undoubtedly, you probably have items maybe more in your menswear slant that women wear. I think there's a little traction there. I mean, we have men's and women's in the shop and, you know, over the years I've, I've pulled women's pieces and put them with a men's look, you know, for a runway show mm-hmm. uh, I and, and vice versa. You know, there's definitely uh, for us, there's a big crossover, you know, women come in, they'll buy the, the men's piece. You know, we've started to make extra smalls and some of the men's pieces for, you know, a smaller woman uh i've seen you know like trostering pants and women and and that that men have come in and bought off the women's rack um or or a tunic that could be you know have some masculine qualities to it that a man may buy from the women's rack it's it's probably less men shopping the women's rack more so women shopping the men's rack um i do still think there you, you still are and this is just I'm speaking personally that you do make a women's collection you make a men's collection but there is this mm-hmm. world that so many of those pieces could go either way uh and, and especially when you look at sweaters you look at coats you look at shirting those are those are things that both you know that go both both genders are attracted to and then there's so much similarity there yeah. Well, and, you know, outerwear, certainly, you know, you're, you're now a whole layer removed from the body. So yeah, shape is, is a bit less relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Let's, let's pivot a little bit and get, and get maybe a little more personal as to your, your style icons. Um, and mm-hmm. so I'll ask, and with no particular, I'll, I'll yeah. suggest that you give me three, but you can give me more than three. <laughs> And yeah. you've already talked about your dad. And, you know, so <laughs> I'm really looking for more listener recognizable style icons, but men or women, yeah. you know, for you, you know, who, who is yeah. informed the way that you've put yourself together as well as the, the way you've designed the brand? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I always bring this person up and maybe it's not specifically for style, but it's, I, I look at style as not just, maybe what you're wearing, but a little bit of who you are. Uh, Chris Christopherson has always been one for me, um, just for who he is, his story, you know, and, and, you know, a Rhodes Scholar, um, you know, a, a pilot, a janitor, you know, becoming, you know, the most amazing songwriter of all time and to, to many folks and, um, and an actor, such a Renaissance man, um, He's always been sort of a, a, 
a, a little bit of a hero of mine. So I put him for me, maybe not for a lot of other folks, but I just have a, a huge crush on him <laughs> and, and for what he stands for. I mean, he's definitely, definitely one of them. You know, I, I, I love, you know, I love what Leon Bridges is doing now. I think he's got a tremendous sense of style and great sense of self and what works for him. Um, John Batiste is another one, you know, I, I bring him up probably because we grew up near each other, but um, he, and we've dressed him quite a bit. I, I think he's just got a tremendous sense of like taking something that's traditional and, you know, adding his own touch to it. Uh, I, I love what he, I, I think he's tremendous. Uh, and, and then I, I will, you know, a little bit lesser known, I, I, the man I work for, you know, my, the, my first job in a clothing store, he was just impeccable and taught me so much about menswear and all the do's and don'ts and how to do it and what was correct. And that baseline for me has stuck with me in my, to, to this day. I still look back on that as, um, you know, and, and his wife was incredibly stylish too. And uh, or is she's they're not <laughs> neither one or dead but uh, so um they were just um yeah they were my bonnie and clyde so to speak you know it's so interesting how style ultimately gets reduced down to confidence in some ways mm -hmm. um you know it is that stylish person who's wearing something unexpected and not standing in the corner or in the shadows with it but but basically saying welcome to me and yeah. rocking this and that <laughs> you know just does that with confidence does does that inform your design process i mean do you want men and women who wear your clothes to to not only be comfortable but obviously yeah. you know kind of gain some confidence in how they look in this frame that you've created for them Abs uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's a big part of it. You want them to feel just fantastic about what they're wearing. Where, and, and not from a not from a standpoint of like it's flashy or they're going to just stand out in the crowd because it's flamboyant, but more the subtlety and how do you take the understated and create such a sophisticated and elegant you know, presentation on yourself where people come, it's like, wow, I love that dress. Or I, man, you look fantastic. Uh, that shirt, where did you get that shirt? Or it, it's that, those little things where I think where you are instilling that slight sense of confidence in someone because, you know, some people buying clothes or selecting, a, a, you know, an outfit or what you're going to wear is, is <laughs> is daunting to a lot of folks. If you can kind of, you know, squelch that just a little bit and start to give them that slight bit of, hey, I feel great about myself. I know I look good. Um, that's, uh, you know, those, those baby steps, so to speak, uh, are very important. It's something we've really tried to work with our customer, you know, on, on doing that. And I think that's why we've had so many loyal customers is that they've had those experiences, you know, where they, they may not have been a, a shopper, so to speak, but, you know, they, they get turned onto it, they get hooked on it and they get hooked on that. The fact that they're making an impression, but yet they still feel 
comfortable about what they're wearing. You know, they, you don't feel like the clothes are wearing you. Right. And I think that's really important. No, that 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 feedback loop is is very yeah. important. You know, that first that first appreciation from a third party that oh. sort of you've walked into the room, you already felt pretty good because I've got my Billy Reed mm -hmm. on and I'm looking great. And then any feedback, yeah. which can be very subtle, obviously, it's just maybe sure. looking at you a little bit longer and you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's because your flies open, but exactly. <laughs> because you are so convinced, you know, like it, it actually helps you cock your chin up maybe a little higher, walk Absolutely. a little taller, and, and then you look even better and and get more positive reinforcement so um you know that yeah. must be a very um a very fulfilling part of what you do to know that people are getting that from your creations it's, um, it's, it's the best i mean honestly that's the best part of it you know if you feel like you've i don't I, to me it's it that's that's why you do it you know you or that's a big part of it for sure well, so we've talked regions. Are there um, are there cities in particular uh, that you find, um, and and we'll focus on menswear. Um, sure. That you find men are the most stylish, uh, and just mm -hmm. you know you can give me as many as you want, but I'd love to hear unexpected ones. Yeah, well, I I would say New Orleans for me again. I grew, I grew up there, so it, it's easy, but, but I have the diversity of what you see from the, you know, the, the mature Southern prototypical, you know, Southern gentleman in the straw hat and the Haspel suit and, you know, that whole vibe, which I love, you know, with the high-waisted pant and it, that's still there. And but I think when you even taking on the other end of that, when you go into, you know, the neighborhoods and you, you go into the Marigny or, 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 or Treme and you see how the kids can, you know, that don't have a lot in many cases, how they can take things and style it in their own way. And I, I just think there's an energy there that it, it's, it's unlike any other. And again, I'm biased. Um, but I, I, I see things there every time, every time I, I go, go to New Orleans, I see something that inspires me and in the people and it's, and it's, it's, it's the diversity that's always been there, uh, and the culture. And I, that to me stands out big time, you know, it really does. I think Charleston has a little bit of, you know, for a different reason, the traditional, southern kind of vibe and the resort kind of mixed with a little bit of the surf vibe that's happening with the younger kids mm -hmm. it, it kind of has a cool, cool thing going and i love austin texas you know i think you know it it, it doesn't evolve very much you know in, in style i mean you could go back into you know heartmore highways documentary and probably see the same things you saw in there that movie today in you know in the culture but I think there's something about the fact that they do it so well, you know, and I dig that. Um, I dig it. Well, listen, Billy, our time is up. Wow. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. I feel like this could be a four-part <laughs> series um, because as we both know, there are a bunch of questions that I still want to yeah. ask, but um, yeah. 
Let's not test the patience of our listeners. Maybe we'll get a part two yeah. going, uh, you know, a couple of seasons from now. Um, yeah. Any any last words, you know, um, nonprofits that you work for or shout outs that you want to give uh, before we close? Yeah, well, I mean, that is, I think one thing we've really tried, you know, since day one, and, and you hope, I, I feel that sense of community that we've tried to build, you know, community is such an overused word now. I, it really is like, it's like retail experience. It's the beginning, you know, everyone says it, but it, we've kind of stuck with it since day one. And, um, you know, working with people like the Southern Foodways Alliance that really does so much with the, the farming community and the, you know, the restaurants and that creates, um, just it can create economic engines in, in small communities what they do in, in their subtle ways i mean that we, we I mean we're definitely continuing our work there uh certainly shindig is going to have a lot of components that kind of speak to that as we um as we look towards next year but no that's it's there, there's there's so many folks that we try to you know work with but again we try to do it from a place that is is very real to us you know and and maybe not the biggest organizations, but people that can make an impact. I think it's good. You know, you hope that it's, it's really, for us, we've felt that's a really important way to kind of uh, run our company and, 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 and really, you know, our, invest in our people in that way where they feel like they can make it, make a difference. And I think that's been a great part about being in a small town, you know, in some ways you can, you can have an impact on things you know, we're based on main, sort of our main street downtown. And when you start bringing young folks in, creative young folks into a small town from all over the, you know, from Belgium and Los Angeles and New York, Chicago and London, and they <laughs> come to the small Southern town, it's amazing how the energy can change because the locals who haven't had exposure to that meet these folks and that creates relationships and it's just been the coolest thing to watch. It really has. And it's been a neat, neat thing to be a part of. And, um, well, we're definitely, anyway. yeah, you know, we, we definitely seem to be at a, a heightened moment of exodus from traditional urban centers to little pockets of, um, creativity, which I think is very, uh, very exciting. You know, I mean, traditionally yeah. the artist, you know, has not been able to afford to live in the large urban center <laughs> yeah, um, and, and even more so today. But uh, but that's a great insight. And, um, you know, I'll get my seersucker and bow ties ready for Shindig 22. <laughs> <laughs> You're in, baby. Yeah, You're yeah. in. And uh, I'll have my listening ears on. And yeah, we didn't uh, even get into bands. We didn't, you know, but yo, man. we'll, we'll yeah. get another one going soon. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, just kind of starve yourself for about three days before you come down so you can just eat it all up, baby. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And until uh, next time, take care. Laws of Style with Douglas Hand. For more information, go to our website at www.hballp.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at at Hand of the Law. Thank you for tuning in and stay stylish.